1: Hey everybody, welcome to the IRR show, this is your wonderful weekly show brought to you by the Institute of Race Relations in partnership with High FM, that's right, um, you're listening to your host Big Daddy Liberty and I'm not alone in studio of course, I'm with the ever wonderful uh, Sarah Gon who is um, looking rather lovely today. Sarah, on this wonderful holiday, how are you doing?
0: I'm feeling very relaxed and uh, very casual.
1: As as you should, and I'm hoping you, the listener, are also in your element at the moment, and you're having um, a wonderful cup of tea. I don't know what <laughs> what people have these days in the morning. Um, hopefully, nothing alcoholic. Goodness me, people. Um, <laughs> yes. Guys, welcome to the show. We have a jam-packed show for you. As always, the format of the show, if you uh, remember, we'll have a brief conversation with Sarah about the news that was. You know, what were the topical things that made the news cycle over the weekend, and you know, yesterday on Monday, and of course, last week. Um, you know, what are the things that you should have been paying attention to, and. Um, we're gonna have a chat about that um, uh today. And of course, uh, you know, we'll we'll also look perhaps at some of the topical big issues that you guys think we think you need to chew uh the fat on at home and be at um What's the word? Uh, sorry, um, you need to be <laughs> versed on in terms of the issues. Of course, after that, we'll have our main interview for the day, the main segment with uh, the head economist at the Institute of Race Relations, a chap who I think you guys will really enjoy uh, hearing from, Mr. Ian Crookshanks. He is, of course, the um, uh, chief economist at the IRR. And what are we chatting about at the end? Well, we're going to chew the fat on various issues from – uh, some of the latest economic numbers that came out uh, last week, uh, Thursday, which was the repo rate, for instance. Um, but also, the, is it the, I, I made a promise to you guys, um, I think, last week or the week before, sorry, um, when we had a chat with, I if you remember, um, a chap named... Um, uh, uh, sorry, just remind Krauser. me. <laughs> there we go, Gabriel Krauser. Um, you know, when I said, you know, the the attack on the Saudis has real implications on not only world oil supplies, but also has major implications for us here at home. So we'll chat about that with Ian Crookshanks as he breaks down really the state of the economy and how you, the ordinary South African, should be preparing um, and really just um, future proofing yourself, if I can call it that, if anything at all. Um, of course, we'll. we'll keep Keep Ian on for the, for about 30 minutes and we'll have a full uh, chat with him. Um, uh, yeah, we'll just, trust me guys, we'll we'll break down a whole bunch of stuff basically. So look forward to that. And of course, the last bit of the show is, hey, you know, we'll tell you what to look out for in the week ahead. I know it's been a wonderful start to the week with this holiday, but, um, there'll still be very topical items in the news cycle that we need to have you guys look at. Um, Sara, firstly, I, waffled away there. Yes. How are you doing? I, I'm,
0: I'm I'm doing fine, and what I'm just going to do is explain to the listeners where we come from, um, uh, our raison d'etre, so to speak. We, have, we, we present analysis that will be based on hard facts and thorough research. Our opinions will be varied, sometimes unexpected and sometimes unorthodox. But we promote classical liberalism, and why do we do that? Because we believe that it's the only political philosophy which promotes individual freedom, and believes that you are best placed to make decisions for you and your family. And whether it's how to grow the economy, your choice of what work you do, where you obtain your health care, which schools your children go to, um, those are all the issues that, that, that we hold dear, and our discussion and analysis will be based entirely upon that. Um, I suppose we would describe ourselves as not, neither alt-right nor alt-left, but alt-centre, and we don't believe that the liberal voice for the moderate, moderate majority in South Africa, is being heard nearly enough. Um, so that is
1: that is where we're coming from. All right, guys. We are going to go to our first outbreak. But remember, when we come back, Sarah and I will be in conversation um, around, hey, what was the topical stuff in the Newsweek? And what, the, uh, what what are some of the issues that we think you need to be well-versed on so that you can improve your arguments even amongst your friends? Guys, we'll see you after the short message.
2: Hi, sister. Hi. On time as usual, mom's just woken up and expecting you. I'll see you later. Give yourself the peace of mind that allows you to get on with your own life while knowing that your loved one is being cared for. Sedima's countrywide network of medical professionals and caregivers are available for individuals and retirement homes. Contact us at info at sedemahealth.com or on
0: 086-155-5585. Sedima Health, bringing you and your loved ones care with dignity.
1: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Hey guys, welcome back to the IRR show. Molo San Bolani. Hello, how's it shalom? Uh, you're listening to Big Daddy Liberty. I'm one half of the show, of course. The other wonderful, much prettier half, I suppose I can definitely say that, is Sarah Ghan Sarah how are you doing? All the better for having been described as the prettier half. Damn straight. And um, <laughs> this, of course, is the um, IRR show where we discuss things, uh, we look at the news cycle, all the stuff that we think you need to be aware of through the eye of classical liberalism. Sara, it was a very interesting week, wasn't yeah. it? Um, one Always. One which saw a whole host of things happen. Um let me begin, perhaps, at the where we be, we, we left off last week, I and mean, mm. we'll just have a brief chat about this because I think when we have our conversation with Ian Crookshanks, uh, chief economist mm. at the IRR, uh, he'll um, you know he'll sort of give us much more in the way of meat and bones on this topic. But the Saudis, you mm. know, we sort of left this conversation at the point where mm. we're saying, um, you know, instability in that region is usually you know the chief architect behind it is uh, the Iranians, and we've been saying this, and you and I are ardent Zionists. We mm. support Israel, and you know we know what Israel goes through insofar as um, the attacks on it yeah. by um, not only Iran but its, its various it's proxies. Um, and I, I sort of I was, I was chewing on something last week, which I didn't know if you know it, it, we, we had a say on, or uh, we fully vaccinated mm. it out rather. Um, and that's the issue of should Israel. reaching out even harder now to some of the other Arab countries Mm. who also are taking exception Mm. to the Iranians. And does that change that region, uh, Mm. do you think? Well, you see, the
0: the Saudi-Iranian debacle, let's call it that, is really the issue in the Middle East. People have always said, you know, Israel-Palestine, but that is actually not the issue that will ultimately... Possibly destroy the world It's been a Sunni-Shiite split And, and that's, that's, that's really what this is partly um, a result of And like most crises, it presents opportunity um, Because, it, and this is the opportunity I'm inclined to agree I mean, obviously, I, I'm, I'm not as a fait with Israeli politics Not being on the ground there But certainly, it, it, given the intensity of 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 enmity between the two, between the Sunnis and the Shiites. I do think this is an opportunity for the Israel, for Israel to try and move closer and closer to the people who share the common enemy. My, my, you know, my enemy's enemy is my friend. And I think the the real politic requires, certainly should encourage that.
1: With, um, and I want to I tie it in a little bit to the the, the elections in Israel. And, I'm, mm-hmm. again, I'm also not an expert on this. I think we'll, we'll probably bring someone on mm-hmm. to chat about these at some stage. But there's, there seems to be, just at a cursory sort of flyover view, quite a bit of instability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks like Israel is heading towards, um, you know, perhaps the Netanyahu era being over. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's cast in stone now, mm-hmm. but... Um, do you think, just as a cursory, not a cursory, but like as a, just a, you know, uh, knee-jerk uh, response, yeah. um, do you think that that will have implications around the work Netanyahu has been putting in, in terms of building new allies in the region, um, strengthening mm. Israel's position in the region. Also, in terms mm. of, you know, people knowing that hey, you know, don't mess with the Israelis. Mm. But also, um, th- that softer touch he's been working on. I mean, Israel's relations with the world have actually mm. really improved. Mm. Um, you know, Israel has very good friends now mm. around the world, from India mm. to, I mean, you can go down the line, and uh, you know, but. Do you think this will be derailed and you'll see a, a shift in policy? And I, I know things mm-hmm. are still settling mm-hmm. in, mm-hmm. we don't really, really know. Mm-hmm. But what do you, what do you think will play out there?
0: Yeah? I, I actually think that those things won't, uh, won't be detrimentally affected and possibly even could be positively developed because the most likely alternative to a Netanyahu-Likud government is, um, Benny Gantz's center blue and white party. And that's, imp- I can't see that sort of party not pursuing or growing these sort of opportunities, I think what the, the benefit of the results of the, of the potential results of the election is, it has pulled Israel back a bit from an inc- an inc- a propensity for Netanyahu and the Likud party to push the boundaries of democracy. In fact, push beyond the boundaries of democracy. So that per se is Im- important. It's also always important to have a change. Uh, uh, you know, from 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 one to the other, when it's been going on for a really long time, and it shows that the Israeli population is ready for it. One sort of last last point on this, of course, is the fact that there has been an election, and the the, the first uh, outcome of the election didn't find a, a winner who could who could put together a government. so It went to a second round of voting. Now, Israeli politics and uh, party politics is notoriously chaotic, but I want. I'm be interested to see where else in the Middle East either genuine elections are being held or elections which should have been held haven't been held at all.
1: Yeah. Um and again, as I said, we'll probably bring someone on uh you know, to chat about this in, in, in greater depth as we look at the implications really of um the Israeli election and you know where they may be heading. The other two issues I really want us to sort of um um nosh on <laughs> is um a, a, a chap named Darby Scott mm-hmm. wrote a piece last week, mm-hmm. which was fantastic in terms of, I think, um, analyzing what is the South African electoral, mm-hmm. um, uh, realignment. In fact, that's what he, it, it was titled, you know, the mm-hmm. South Africa is realigning politically and these, uh, by-elections, as he puts it, are proof of it. I don't know if you've gone through mm-hmm. the article mm-hmm. in, in, in any detail. So what are some of the key points he was making there?
0: Essentially, he's looking at the change in performance of party politics and, and the most dramatic is probably the, um, decreasing performance of the Democratic Alliance and mostly mostly losing to the Freedom Front Plus because a lot of the constituencies that are that are being fought over are small-town rural constituencies and, and probably conservative. But the DA, in making the mistake of sort of uh, uh, marginalizing those people, despite m- most of those supporters having been there for a number of years and casting upon them what it believes they think – I think is, 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 has been um, irreversible. And essentially, DA very
1: t- urgently needs to look at its policy and, uh, and realign. Yeah, the, the DA is paying a very heavy price for basically calling its own base, you know, right-wingers and all sorts of um, ad hominem that it passed on to, to people. And I think it's also a trust issue. You know, can we trust a party which seemingly, um, you know, started um, – uh, you know, uh, shape shifting and, mm. and moving away from its core liberal values. Mm. So these are some of the things that we need to, um, uh, chew the fat on and, uh, but we'll do that and more in, in our next, uh, week, uh, uh, show. But, um, after this break, we're going to bring you IRR chief economist, Ian Crookshanks. We'll see you just now. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Hey everybody, Molo San Bonani. Hello, how's it? Welcome back to the IRR show. My name is Big Daddy Liberty, and of course, I'm in studio with the uh, co-host uh, Sarah Gunn. Um, as promised, we have a very interesting chap in studio. His name is Ian Crookshanks. He's the chief economist at the Institute of Race Relations, and um yeah, let me just welcome him in studio. Ian, hello, hello. Good morning. How are you doing? Hi, good to be with you. Thank you. Fantastic, Ian. Ian, we're gonna jump. Straight straight into it because, you know, I think a lot of our listeners here are also worried about the state of the economy generally in terms of, you know, domestic issues that influence it. And, uh, of course, some of the international issues that we have been chatting on here on the IRR show. But let me begin with domestic issues because I think that's where the bread and the effects on bread and butter issues, are, I suppose, mm-hmm. are most pronounced. Last week in, we saw a set of economic numbers come out. The repo rate came out and it was Unchanged. What does that mean for us, Ian?
2: Well, I think what it's saying is we remain in an unchanged economic situation, stuck between low and no growth. This means that uh, new investment, new jobs, it's just not happening and unlikely to happen in the short term, let's say the 6 to 12 months ahead. Uh, what, what we saw was internationally uh, a huge spike in the oil price. Huge, yes. When the motivating force behind energy worldwide gets moved by over 10% overnight, wow, that's a big impact. And uh, how does it impact us in South Africa? Well, 50% of our fuel comes from oil, uh, 50, from imported oil. Now, if the price goes up overnight by that much, it may, it has come back, partially, but what it says is the risk remains. That risk, as long as there's dissension and unease in the Middle East to political areas, that, that threat is still there, and that risk is enough to pull back new investment, to put up the cost of goods and services and make, make less 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 likelihood of uh, of doing the things which we want which is to grow the private sector to get public to get the private sector involved in public private partnerships to say yes we'll work together now they're saying sorry we don't want to do anything at
1: all in uh, you- I, I think you're spot on. We're going to unpa- unpack some of these issues a, a bit later on. But I, I, I want to come back to the repo rate because okay. I think a lot of people have a, a false sense of l- lulled complacency. You, know, you, you hear something like, oh, the interest rate is not going to go up, so I'm not going to pay more at least in, in resurfacing debt, et etc." et cetera. But we're not out of the woods yet, no, yet, are we?
2: Absolutely not. First of all, the repo rate. What is repo? It is the repurchase rate. That is the rate at which the major commercial banks can borrow money uh, on the presentation of of adequate security from the central bank, from the reserve bank, on an overnight basis. It has to be renegotiated from day to day. And uh, this is the base rate for the whole interest rate structure uh, in South Africa. Is it important? Well, yes because the cost of funding the cost of capital is what drives investment and activity and spending in in every sector of the economy
1: um, maybe as as I, I you know we we and i want you to sort of op- opine on this because um, you know the listener might be wondering ian on our other shows that we have at the IRR, we've been talking for a very long time now That the policy environment in this country is really beginning to squeeze the consumer We were talking about retail numbers We were talking about um, a whole set of data sets which are really painting a very negative picture Around what the quality of life of the South African ever increasingly will look like going forward Unless there is a change in policy and government So let me take it a step back Some of the, Let's talk about some of the major sectors in, in this country we, I know we got retail numbers last week. Um, yes. I don't know if you have those on you or you can remember yeah. them. But um, talk to me about what some of the big industries that some of the larger employers in this country are going through. Is it all good, rosy, everybody's ready for um, to march into some sort of nirvana or are there real headwinds coming our way which we need to prepare for? Real headwinds coming our way, not just coming our way,
2: already here. Just look at what the Reserve Bank is saying. They're estimating a growth rate in the overall economy of 0.6%. 0.6% is really, that's not growth, that's hardly moving at all. And the risk, they said, remains to the downside of that number. So it could be zero, which is why I say we're actually stuck in a low to no growth scenario for the foreseeable future, for the short term, let's say,
1: at least a year or two ahead. Now, this has clear um, implications for for job em- uh, employment, you know, or excuse me, job creation, current employment, um, and even just the prospects for individuals enjoying a middle class existence in this country. Ian, let's take two steps back, um, and it's, it's it's one which I know you enjoy talking about because the analysis, the quality of your analysis, is very strong in this instance. If we don't see Ian. Um, a, a growth rate, which is at least, let's say three, maybe four percent, uh, maybe even higher. I can see you sort of gesturing there, which maybe even five, six percent. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, right. uh, let me reframe it my question, um, cause I want us to s- sort of do it in a double whammy. Ian, if we're talking about 0.6%, can we expect job creation, can we expect any realistic um, raising of living standards in this country? If not, what sort of uh, growth rate should we be looking at uh, to grow the economy and really break, uh, create jobs? Can we expect any growth rate under the current scenario?
2: No, absolutely not. Let's face, let's face reality. Uh, 60% of all economic activity is, is, is starts from uh, consumer spending. There are fewer consumers who have the ability to spend because there are fewer jobs. We've got job destruction, not job creation. And with that in mind, we've got a, shrink, a potentially shrinking economy. To what extent do we see this? If we see it on a large scale, um, if we look at the iron and steel sector, a major sector in, in, in manufacturing, we see that there are many medium-sized cities, cities that are actually at threat of closing down Closing down the whole industry, the, st- the, the, the future of manufacturing steel could close. We may not have any more. And if that happens, we will see thousands of people forced to vacate their own homes. This is a shockingly, potentially social explosion waiting to
1: happen. And you're raising something that's been worrying me. And, Sarah, I'm going to bring you in um, on this just now. Mm. But uh, just maybe one more question from my side is, Ian – his, what has been historically what Some of the larger um, Excuse me What has been historically Some of the largest uh, jobs Creating industries in this country Have just completely Almost been decimated mm. We talk manufacturing We talk mining um, And you're right It's been almost the consumer end of things Which has been propping us up for a very long time That of course in the services um, industry And of course the state Which has grown rather considerably But this is unsustainable in, yes. in, in, large terms. Um, and we're not building a skills base, I think, which can actually create the next, uh, generation of types of jobs. I and mean, we, often hear, for example, from the state that, oh, we're heading towards the fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, I don't think we have the skills base that allows for this. Ian, talk to us about some of the, and I'm gonna, here's a direct question. Both manufacturing and mining have, um, uh, you, um, the, the manufacturing and the mining base in this country has eroded significantly because of policy primarily. It's almost been self-inflicted, aside from, of course, you know the international I- issues here and there. Mining in particular, it's a property rights issue and uh, the encroachment of various policies on them. Can we continue to have a, a predatory policy environment um, that really preys on these sectors, um, can we continue to have that sort of environment and expect growth um, at the same time? Or really, and you, I think your, your, your laugh is, is spot on because I, I'm, 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 I know I'm giving you a, a purposely facetious question here, but um, or what do we need to do basically to get the South African economy turning around again and churning?
2: So to get the South African economy turning around, churning, churning out new uh, new, new new potential. We need a growth rate of 5% or more, but that 5% is the base. We're not anywhere close to that. We're talking of 5%. Gee, we're lucky to we get 0.5% this mm. year, and in fact, we may even see a shrinkage. So we're not going the right way. Clearly, there, there, there are real problems with government policy, not setting parameters in which business can thrive and grow and do that job creation uh, and spending, spending sprees that we'd like to see. So, uh, no, it comes back to... Policy not having been, not having been leading to a, an investment friendly situation where you talked about the possibility of a 2% growth. Well, we haven't even hit 2% in the last few years. Now, that means that we've got a greater number of people without jobs without the ability to to support themselves, without the ability to feed themselves. What we have to remember is that hungry people become angry. Angry people throw stones and vent their violence against the state. This is the risk we're running, and that's why it is so vitally important that we do something about the basic policy governing the country, the way we look at business, and, and, and all the rights attracted to them.
0: Ian, can I raise something? Because... You've, you've discussed policy and it's, it's huge, but there's another practical issue that came to my attention. There's been discussion about the implosion of the, uh, construction industry and businesses going out of, uh, going, going out of business, going to business rescue or, or insolvency, uh, both big and large. Mm-hmm. And the comment from the uh, head of this, of one of the organizations that looks after, after the construction industry said that a lot of those companies are going under because they are not being paid in time by the government.
2: Yes, that's absolutely right.
0: And essentially, as ca- presumably, therefore, it means that their cash flow is just, they ha- they're losing it, they don't have any, yes. and, and their businesses are, are literally shrinking. And, and the implications of that are government are...
2: are Government are losing uh, their own ability to earn their revenue. You can't you can't get much tax on an industry which hasn't got any revenue, and I think that this is this is the problem. And of course, uh, it extends down to consumers as well. In every nook and cranny of the economy, there's shrinkage rather than expansion.
1: Ian, I'm I'm going to play the role of a, a, a an entrepreneur. And I'm gonna give I'm gonna send three questions your way, which I some of them are a little unfair to you because I'm gonna ask you to forecast a little bit. <laughs> but um but I think they, they, they'll 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 provide the listener with a lot of context as to where we're heading and why it's really a problem. I'm a small business owner Ian. I've started a um a textiles business. Um it's going well so far because I, I use innovative technology, um, so I'm, I'm sort of able to compete internationally uh, on that basis. But I, I'm facing the problem, Ian, of not being able to get um, clearances from the state timely. The state is not doing its part um uh, to essentially help me run my business where the state, of course, is forcing me to get, get involved in, with it. Um, so, for example, on issues around, you know, what happens at our, our ports, for example, my ability to get my equipment out, etc., cetera, et cetera, The broader question, therefore, to you, Ian, is how much of a problem is this? How much of um, the state's interference in the economy is hampering some of our uh, 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 entrepreneurs and really business sector? it's hampering it to a huge
2: extent just take the, the issue of minimum wages for instance uh, the, the Chinese producer of textiles can effectively manufacture and deliver textiles to South Africa at a cheaper rate than we can source the raw material itself and why is this? Because they deal in massive quantities because they have efficiencies in manufacturing they have, uh, they, they have, they have entered the fourth industrial revolution we're not even there yet. We're still counting with, uh, with blocks. And I think that uh, what we're seeing is that some of the workers are finally catching on to this. There have been some instances in KZN where the inspectors have come around and said, we want to look at your books. We want to make ensure that you're paying the minimum wage. And the workers said, you're not coming into our factory Listen, being paid a little is better than not being paid at all. So this is what we need, a worker revolt, the realization that a half a loaf is better than none. Yes, it's tough, but that's the only way there's any work at all. And it's this sort of realization that government has to make and say let's not put hindrances in the way by having unfair uh, minimum wages as a starting
1: point, never mind all the other government regulations. Mm. I, I hear you, Ian. I hear you as the, the, um, let's stick with my little example here. Then I said to you, but Ian, um, labor is also ma- a major issue for me. I'm, I'm struggling to get my workers, those few workers that I do have because I'm highly mechanized. Um, I'm struggling to get them to sort of be productive. Um, the unions, Ian, are getting in the way of me being able to also upskill my workers so that I can, I can even pay them more. Um, but I don't think they understand the relationship between Productivity and my ability to do that. Yep. Uh, am I right, here? Absolutely. the The labour movement seems to not to understand
2: the strong connection there is between productivity and reward. Yes, the employers want to pay the workers more, provided they get more input, more efficient input, more more pr- production per hour, more uh, more uh, commercially acceptable. Output. Now, until that happens, then we're going to, we, we can't make progress. We've got to realize that we are squeezing ourselves out of our own future environment where we could upskill the workers and, and improve the possibility of growing profitability, revenue and profitability for our own businesses.
0: Can I ask a yeah. question uh, flowing on from the, um, uh, from trade unions? They've, they've proposed any form of any reform or reform idea that would actually make a difference in this country. And the, it's, it's tended to come from a very leftist position, and it's based on our, we are not prepared to see our, our members lose their jobs. The problem with this is that the, the, if, the, if the reforms were allowed to happen and worked, there would be more people working and the potential to sign up more members. Mm-hmm. But in the current situation, the only thing we can probably guarantee is that in all sectors – they're going to lose jobs, and therefore they're going to lose members. So the, this sort of economic illiteracy just doesn't make any sense.
2: That, that's absolutely right. Uh, that's absolutely right. And I can't argue with it because there is no argument. Uh, it, it's a factor that does not seem, seem to be taken into account. Political advances seem to be taking away from practical uh, practical practicalities
1: that should be running the, the whole jobs sector. Ian, my my final example As this fictitious fictitious, uh, business So to speak I hear what you're saying When it comes to the labour environment I I experience it as an entrepreneur Myself I hear what you're saying when it comes to The overall um, economy And really the stifling um, Regulatory environment That we experience in this country Um, I need you therefore Ian To give me a little bit of hope The top three reforms that you can think of that are desperately needed in the economy, if we're to get to a point of even uh, by next year two percent economic growth, and then the year after three, and then to, to that, getting to that five that you were talking about, top three reforms that we must embark on.
2: You know, I know when you say to me, I hear what you say. I say, oh, here comes a difficult question. But, but uh, the first thing is to allow the free expression of abilities to allow somebody who wants to build a wall, build a room, to go ahead and do so. If the quality isn't good enough, they'll find that in that small scale, they won't get paid. So I think that that there has to be, let the free market determine uh, progress and movement uh, in individual abilities to motivate, that motivation is there, but to express themselves in making a contribution to their way of life and to the economy as a whole. I think that we then have to say the the, the, uh, the access to credit, which can be done uh, through uh, land rights through giving people the ability to to borrow against land that not everybody wants to take that land right and become a farmer in fact, the majority don 't they want the money to do their own thing government 's got to let them go ahead and do so I think. And then uh, I think the third thing uh, is that uh, we've got to get used to the idea we cannot stand in the way of global movements. If the movement is towards uh, privatization, towards public-private partnerships, which we desperately need to do, let's let's use the expertise which the private sector has. If I could do anything at all, I'd say let government wake up. To the abilities that are right on their doorsteps And say let's utilize those Together and make and and go forward together And that way we'll grow that economy And move towards that 5% Rate that we want
1: Yeah, I think you're spot on and um, it, It really does come down to The idea that we've got to become A society that trusts Citizens to be able to make economic decisions for themselves and remove the interference, remove the blockages that come from an army of bureaucrats and an army of politicians, and an almost predatory uh, political elite in this country who are only fleecing from uh, people guys we 're going to go to a ad break and then when we return we 're going to have our closing segment with Ian Crookshanks. Um and um, we 're going to look at more interventions I think that we can we can pass in order to get, get our economy. Me growing again. Guys, we'll see you after this short ad break. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Hey everybody, Morlas shalom to you guys. Welcome back to the IRR show. I'm your host, Big Daddy Liberty. We're in studio, of course, with the ever wonderful co-host Sarah Gunn and our guest, um, Mr. Ian Crookshanks, who, of course, is the chief economist at the Institute of Race Relations. Now, in these last few seven minutes or so, Ian, I want us to talk about the reforms required to get the South African economy um, uh, ticking. Because one of the things we often talk about, you know, sort of sorry is, um, the desperate need for policy in this country that moves away from the current, uh, path we're heading, which is more government control, more space for political cronies and elites to, um, you know, control and interfere in more aspects of people's lives. And of course, a larger government, a bloated, almost necrotic state, um, which is bleeding the country drive. We do not need this. We need the other direction, which is more market approaches, um, a free market which allows individuals and families to be the ones who get the income to build the savings and from those savings buy themselves options but there is a pathway to this one which requires um, certain reforms let me begin with the large one Ian State-owned enterprises in this country are a complete drain on the fiscus. They are an unfair; they're almost immoral. And I'll I'll tell you why I say this: you have a situation in this country where a poor gogo somewhere in rural South Africa is coughing up fifteen percent of her meagre incomes when she shops to pay VAT, which means fifteen percent less goods that she could have bought for herself. That fifteen percent, the money that she sorely needs, may very well find itself being used to prop up. um, Something she'll never get to use in her life uh, A lifetime Um, Whereas I'm of the view that we need to be reforming SOEs, selling many of them off. Let's begin with the chief, arch- um, culprit, uh, SCOM. Um, it's running out of 20 billion rand last year. It owes nearly, uh, I think is it 200 billion rand or mm-hmm. something along those lines? All in all, 400 billion rand. Um, what do we need to do to reform and sell off some of these SOEs? Is, or is that even uh, a, su- a suggestion? Sell off? No, because nobody wants it. Give it away. The, give it away
2: and guarantee the debt. That's about the only way we can do it. And what is this actually having? Let me give you an interview, uh, uh, an interview that we did with uh, the head of General Motors before they packed up and left. They said three things we want. Security of assets, cost effective electricity supply, and labor understanding productivity and reward. Cost effective electricity supply. He said, if you come to me and say, I'm going to be putting up the Cost of electricity by fifteen percent this year, after nineteen percent the year before, and now I can't guarantee delivery every day. Uh, it's not acceptable. So what happens? We're driving business away. General Motors locked the key to their factory factory door, threw it away, and left. Left after a hundred years. Now that just says what what impact current policy is having. So we've got to start off by saying, when it comes to ESCOM don't try to repair what's what's what's. Finally broken Just say Let's produce in As much electricity As we can Cost effectively Where we can get A tariff That, that is justifiable And uh, and if we can't do it Let independent Power producers See if they can do better They've proved They can Already and I think that gives us that cost-effective basis to drive the economy towards a, a level where we can say we'll get towards job creation.
1: Ian, the next area must be on the issue of property rights. In this country, okay. we've, we, we've, 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 we've lulled ourselves into a, f- a false argument that suggests only rich people uh, need or big businesses need uh, property rights. But we know that that's not true. Talk to me, Ian, about – the ability to, for an investor, to say, I've thrown money into this economy, no one's going to take it away from me or or dispossess me in any way, and even the individual being able to say, we own this, we can leverage off of it. Um, is that not an e- a reform that we need to move in that direction of empowering the individual and not the state?
2: Absolutely, security of cap- of assets. That it's a, it's an imperative. And how do we do that? By giving people title to their land. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's it's a quarter of an acre, a quarter of a hectare, whatever it is now. Uh, it must be a small plot where there has to be just services provided, water, surge, electricity, that's all. Let the owner then build the house to his requirements according to his means. And if you have somebody who can lay a straight row of bricks, you can be quite sure that once he's done that, he'll do it on all four sides Get enough tin or zinc to, to put a roof over his head. What have you given? A basic human right, basic to a decent habitation. And if, as soon as the neighbor sees that, they say, wow, will you do one for me? Then we've got this, the, the, the the movement towards job creation because in a moment, in in, in another week, they will want somebody to push the wheelbarrow, somebody to mix the dagger, to get the whole system going again. And his ability, allow the people to utilize their own abilities. If it falls down, business will stop. And that is it. The 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 utilizers of that that product will determine the quality that that is
1: there. And if if it's powerful enough to get um the poorest in our society yes. getting uh, involved in, in some form of economic activity, then of course it secures the rights of the larger groupings, of the big investors in this country, the guys who look at South Africa and go, we want to invest, but we're just not sure the security of of, of assets. Yes. Yes, I mean, that is all important. What is what is interesting is uh, on, on
2: other services, for instance, let's just say education, which yeah. is really something we all, all all are close to. It's been proven in India that if you'll give the poorest people a coupon which says they now have got the right, they didn't have to buy it, it got given with their tax return. They have got the right to spend it as a small contribution towards the teacher's salary. I think if that happens, then we'll find that there will be more interest in taking education as, as as a way of life, as, as a way to improve the benefit to, to the majority, prove the lot of the majority and that way we would say we're going to get the, the, the population moving in a more educated uh, uh, direction and we're going to have a chance of getting towards the fringe of that
1: fourth industrial revolution, Absolutely. which we're not even heading in that direction right now Ian, I totally agree with you and um, maybe as we wrap up um, to you, the listener, please be aware that Ian Crookshank is going to be quite a regular voice on our show as we talk all things economics and uh, as we unpack other issues that really... Um, you know, affect the uh, the economy and really your place in it. Um, a bit of a rush show, but um, that's what happens when you're on radio. You know, time is never your friend. But, um, yeah, Ian, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to having you back. It's been an honor to be with you. Thank you for your time. Fantastic. Sarah, we'll see our listeners after this break as we wrap up the show. Hi
0: FM, your station of choice since 2008.
1: Hey, guys, welcome back. And uh, as we look to close, guys, remember you can find us. Um, that is our, our, our colleagues on the Daily Friend website. That's where we provide all the news, analysis, and opinion. Daily Friend website, of course, is www.dailyfriend.co.za. You'll find Ian Crookshanks, Gabriel Krause, all the voices that you've been hearing on the show providing analysis. And, of course, um, you can uh, enjoy some of my content, Big Daddy Liberty, um, by finding me on any of my social media platforms That's Facebook, Twitter um, and YouTube Just search Big Daddy Liberty And uh, this week actually I released a very interesting episode I went, I hit the streets of Johannesburg uh, Last week, sorry, I hit the streets of Johannesburg Talking to ordinary people and asking them the question Are you willing to give over your property and your savings, your, your money to a politician voluntarily. If not, why should you accept a policy such as expropriation without compensation or prescribed assets? Which is essentially politicians forcibly taking your property and money away. So you can watch that episode on my YouTube channel, just search uh, Big Daddy Liberty. Sara, as we close the show mm-hmm. and say goodbye, um, some of the things that you maybe have in mind, just very briefly.
0: Well, I don't know if it will last, last into the week much, and it's probably now a little historical, but I am uh, uh, between amused, concerned, and astounded that the Constitutional Court is again playing nanny and telling us that we cannot spank our own children in our home. Now, the spanking may be one thing, but uh, how do you enforce uh, – infor- how do you police it? It's a bit like, it's a bit like the old flag uh, issue. Um, but the other thing I, – I, I think the one thing that should be rolling over is the analysis of the changing fortunes of the pol- political parties. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I, I think that we haven't seen, the, we haven't begun to see the end of that Absolutely. discussion.
1: Absolutely. I think going forward, that's one to watch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Guys, remember, thank you so much for listening to the IRR show. We are on every Tuesday, uh, at 9 a.m. And this is a partnership, of course, between the Institute of Race Relations and CHI-FM. Guys, enjoy your heritage day and we'll see you next week.